so good to see you all sharing and talking together. Has anyone here ever been on an elevator that got stuck? What was that like? Claustrophobic. That was it? Scary. Okay, I was looking for the word scary. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been on an elevator that paused, you know, between floors. The door sort of opened, and we weren't quite where we were supposed to be, and I was like, oh, no, you know, like, do I climb out? What's going on? How many, okay, for how many of you did I just bring up your worst fear? Like, <laughs> this is terrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But here's the thing. Uh, it's a great illustration of um, our joy elevator. I, I want you to think about your life as if you have a joy elevator that's got to go from the bottom to the top. And, you know, there at the top, there's just so much joy. But our joy elevator gets stuck between floors. And um, we're, we're stuck there, and we're feeling isolated. We're feeling claustrophobic. Uh, we're feeling like, I just need to retreat. Or I need to focus on the task. I need to get this task done. This is my job. This is what's really important. And we're, we're not, we've, we lose that capacity to be relational. We lose that capacity to actually connect with people in that moment when our joy elevator gets stuck. For some, time, for some of us, our joy, joy elevator seems stuck all the time. Okay? And, and I would encourage you, like, as we go through this series return to joy, that if you find, you know, I, my joy elevator is really stuck, I would encourage you to explore counseling, to explore some interventions that way, and uh, to explore how you might ask the Lord for healing during that, that season. But the truth is that for, for many of us, uh, here at the beginning of the term, our joy elevator is right there up at the top. Like, we're okay. We just come back from holidays. We feel blessed. We feel encouraged. Um, we feel a little anxious. It's just butterflies. Um, but six weeks from now, you know, it could be that, that you feel pressed by all of the tasks. You feel depressed by the rain that might finally come. And you, you're starting to feel like, oh my goodness, the days are shorter. Did the elevator get stuck? You know, like, what is going on? And so this series of messages will be really important for you in thinking about the future. But it's really important for all of us because we all lead somewhere. We all lead somewhere, and the best leaders are those who tap in to the joy factor in their lives and in the lives of others. The, the best churches, the best family settings is where the joy factor is truly tapped in with a deep sense of rootedness and identity. Joy is great, but if your identity factor is not rooted, then you're just the life of the party. You know, you are a party animal. And there's a lot of invitations to that kind of joy. But the invitation that we have in Christ is for a rooted identity that also brings joy. A rooted identity in the communion of God, with the people of God. And there is joy in that. There's meant to be joy. 
The flip side of it is when our organizations, our families, our churches, and our lives are being dominated by fear. Both fear and joy are like jet fuel to our lives. Fear moves in a destructive pattern, but joy moves towards life and godliness. Do you know Jesus was accused of being a party animal? Of being a guy who had great joy with people, but maybe had really lost his identity. His identity as a person of God. His identity as a teacher and a rabbi. His identity as a holy one in Israel. Because he was accused of just being a party animal. Too much joy. Too much relational connection with people. It's addressed in Luke chapter 15. You can open a Bible there if you want and follow as I read from Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So let's look a little closely at the text. In verse 1, we're told that the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering to hear and to listen to Jesus. Now to some, the tax collectors were um, traitors, and the sinners were losers. So in a way, this is code to say that there were losers and traitors gathering around Jesus to listen to him. And then the Pharisees, it says in verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering to themselves, this man, this man. Can't you see it, the pointing finger? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Sounds like hospitality, doesn't it? He welcomes sinners and eats with them. There's a great time going on. There's a lot of joy in that space. And they were watching it. And they were actually disgusted. Do you know that six of the joy killers are actually immensely emotional in our lives? Disgust is one of them. Disgust, contempt. You know, it's the raised lip. Mm. Can you do it? Mm. You know, it's the side eye. What? Disgust. It's a joy killer. Shame, anxiety, despair, sadness, and anger. 
They're all joy killers. The incredible thing about Jesus is that he was not going to be motivated by their contempt or their disgust. He was not going to be motivated by their anxiety. He was able to hold it and to still connect with these Pharisees and teachers of the law. He was able to keep his relational circuit on, even though they were turning theirs off. So Jesus, to keep the relational circuits on, tells a story. His story is actually an invitation. It's an invitation into heaven's joy. It's an invitation into the heavenly Father's joy and delight. So in the story, Jesus recasts the sinners and tax collectors as sheep. Did you notice it? The tax collectors and sinners are sheep. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, this was a familiar metaphor to Israel. They were used to being called the flock of God, the sheep. It actually wasn't a term of derision in our day. It's a meme, right? All the sheeple who just go along and fall off the cliff and do whatever. But instead, it was a valued and cherished expression to say that Israel was the flock of God. And Jesus uses that here to recast the traitors and the losers and say, they're the flock of God. They're the sheep. Can't you hear them? Meh, meh. Don't you have a longing for them? I know you all don't. None of you are shepherds. And this is the second thing that's happening here. Jesus is recasting God as a shepherd. That God is the shepherd who cares not only just for the flock when it's together. God is the shepherd that cares for the one that gets lost. God cares. Even if he's got 99, God cares that there's one lost sheep. I did a little research this week. Why do sheep get lost? I googled the question. Incredibly, there's an article about it. In a homesteader's blog, there's a whole article about why sheep get lost. It's good to hear. Are you ready? Reason number one, sheep are scaredy sheep, and they have decent senses. So they've got radar, danger, scared, and they move on it. This is how sheep get lost. Reason number two, sheep are followers. They followed someone else, and they got lost together. (laughs) Reason number three, sheep are social creatures, and they need their flock. Now, this one puzzled me, but the whole, the whole thing was the whole sheep flock could get lost. Oh, really? Like, I, I was like, you could lose the whole flock? Apparently, the whole flock can get lost. Reason number four, running is a proven defense mechanism. All right. Right, so you just up and run. You don't, you don't notice where you're running. You just run. 
and then you look up, and you got lost. Anybody been there? Reason number five, sheep actually need and follow strong leaders. Without leaders, sheep will get lost. I was like, oh, that's good to know. This one just really tickles me. Number six, a sheep's vision is weird. (laughs) Get this, a sheep's vision is weird. Um, Their eyes are sort of in a strange place. They're on the side of their head. Have you ever noticed? I've never really noticed that. I I have friends who pastor a church just over in Washington called uh, Tierra Nueva. And at Tierra Nueva, they they talk about the lost sheep, the black sheep, and the ugly sheep. And they actually rejoice in God bringing ugly sheep to their church. So to mark that, they have a collection of what they call the ugly sheep. And so whenever someone finds on the internet a picture of an ugly sheep, they're supposed to bring it. And I tell you, you look at those pictures and it's like, yeah, their eyes are everywhere. You know, and the strange thing about their vision is it's not very uh, good at distance, but it does pick up peripherally very, very well. And so when something comes at them and they sense its danger, they move because their vision has picked it up even behind them. This is why sheep dogs can chase sheep and move them, is that they actually have a bit of vision here up behind them. Reason number seven, I love this one. Are you ready? Sheep need personal space. I didn't know that. But sheep need personal space. And so they want a little bit of space around them. And if they're on the edge of the flock, they're not actually getting up close. They're, they're on the side because if the rest of the herd senses danger and charges at them, they don't want to get run over. Give me my personal space, right? It's the original moment, but don't get too close to me, right? I need some personal space. And so this is sheep. They want a zone for running and going. Reason number eight. You're not going to like this one. Sheep literally can't walk straight. They can't walk straight. They they tilt. They tend to walk in circles. And actually, if you've ever gotten lost in the forest um, and you walk long enough, you will walk in a circle if you haven't picked a space because we don't tend to walk straight either. Now, if you think about this on the spiritual realm, God, Jesus, is being very sophisticated when he says these people are like sheep and they get lost. It's part of their nature to wander. Jesus had a very sophisticated sense about sin. We tend to wander off from our greatest joy, our greatest protector, our greatest source of life, our greatest provider, the one who brings salvation to our souls. We tend to wander off. Finally, Jesus recast the gathering of God's people He recasts the gathering of God's people as a joyful celebration, as heaven's joyful celebration of even one and everyone who has ever turned back to God. 
Now, this is really important because he's suggesting that the flock is made up of people that God has gone and gathered up and joyfully carried there. And that person says, man, I'll stay. I'll stay. I want to be a part of this. I'm so glad. And so they share the Heavenly Father's delight, a delight that started because they knew the Heavenly Father delighted in them. Has that happened for you? Would you let Jesus today recast your vision of God, that God is not one who's just looking for you to mess up so he can squash you or whip you, that God is one who's looking and delights in you when he sees you, and he does. I mean, how hard is it for you to say, God delights in me? Haters are going to hate. They were on the outside looking at them and looking at Jesus, and they were hating. And so it was very important that the muttering of the Pharisees and the religious teachers was going, and Jesus speaks up for his crowd. Jesus is speaking up for them and says, look, God delights in you, and I do too. Do you know the reason why they probably enjoyed being around Jesus? Is they knew he delighted in them. He knew how to have a good laugh. He knew how to make a joke. He knew how to be with them. He knew how to enjoy them. Jesus' elevator never got stuck. Even when he was experiencing the most difficult and desperate moments in his life, Jesus could return to joy, a deep and abiding sense of peace. It says even he endured the cross because of the joy set before him. The joy of his communion with the Father. The joy of his communion with you. And so, dear church, here we are as his people. Jesus has relational joy. It is God's way of building and maintaining his family and his identity. For many of you, you may have experienced something else where fear was used or withdrawal was used as a way of threatening and maintaining family unity and family reputation. But in the life of the church, the way of Jesus is the way of joy, that we build and maintain the life of the church with joy that we delight to be with God who delights to be with us, that we delight to be with others, even if they're not delighting in us yet. We build the relational and emotional habits to return to joy anyway. And when our elevator is stuck, we look for help. More on that in the coming weeks. So as a church, we say for now 13 years that our mission as a church is to joyfully invest in relationships to spark a life journey with Jesus. And that joy is at the front 
because it's so essential in our context. Our investment is not necessarily a transactional one. Why are you in university? At the worst of it, it's because you paid the bill. Somebody's paying the bill. Why did you get your job? Because somebody's going to pay me to be there. But building and maintaining the life of the church isn't because someone's getting paid. It's because of the joy of the Lord. Pursuing and relating to God is not because someone's paying you to do it. Now, I must confess, we have bribed children to memorize Scripture in my home and paid them a dollar per word. We have done it. Yes, the, the first time my wife was like, there were a lot of words <laughs> in that. Okay, but, but really, we're, we, we were trying to set the pattern for what can become internally motivated, not externally motivated, the joy of the Lord. Do you know, Nehemiah faced a moment where they had been building and reconstructing the city of Jerusalem, particularly the walls, and they had an occasion then where the Word of God was read to this group of people. And as they listened to the Word of God being read, they actually wept. They were weeping. The Spirit of God had moved across, and they were weeping. But I wonder if Jeremiah also, or Nehemiah also recognized in that moment that it was a weeping not of joy, but of fear. Because he says the most unusual thing, maybe not unusual for a guy to say, don't cry. Stop crying. Today is not a day of mourning before the Lord. Today is a day of celebration. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hmm. What's the strength of my life? The Lord's joy, Yahweh's joy, the Heavenly Father's joy, Jesus' joy, the Holy Spirit's joy. This is the strength of our lives, His joy in us from a rooted identity that, ah, we are His people. He found us. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was stuck in a crevice, and he pulled me out and lifted me up and set my feet on solid ground. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so we joyfully invest in relationships to spark a life journey. We invest and we invite. How do you do that? Well, by attending, by giving, by serving, and by identifying and saying, this is my church. These are the people I've thrown my lot in with because Jesus called me into it. Jesus brought me into this family. And so here I am. I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to be a part of Alpha, or I'm going to be a part of a connection team. I'm going to be hospitable and welcoming. I'm going to find delight that someone walked around the door, right? Connection team folks, they're like, come and help us, come and help us. I'm going to be a part of Origin Kids, I want to delight in the kids and joyfully invest in them that I might spark a life journey. Now, here's the thing. 
Kids are great at sparking life journeys in other people, too. And we've had volunteer helpers and teachers who were students who were like, I learned so much from those kids. They know their Bible. You know, like, wow. What a great place to start if you're early in your journey with Jesus. We have a way for you to be involved there. The other part is just to go and build relationships with others, to invest and to invite, to invest without knowing. Jesus said, throw parties when no one can throw the party back for you. Throw parties. This is not a transactional investment. We don't know what's going to happen. We're not in charge of the miracles. Jesus is in charge of the miracles. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would set in us relational joy, for it is your way of building and maintaining this family and our identity in you. We pray that the joy of the Lord would truly be our strength. We pray that when some of us lament and some of us feel pained, when some of us stumble into spaces where trauma has got our elevator stuck, that we could be the kind of community that says we will carry you, we will walk with you, we will joyfully be with you, though at this point your elevator is stuck and you feel stuck in there. You will not be stuck in there alone. We're coming in. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us be that kind of people, the kind of people who believe that you are Emmanuel, who sees us, who hears us, who's with us, who's delighting in us, that when we wake in the morning and call to you, you've already seen us with delight. And all the heavens and the angels of heaven have rejoiced at every moment in a day where we turn back to you, where we rejoice with you. You've said there is no greater joy in heaven than on the day when someone turns back to you. Oh, Lord Jesus, come. This morning, if you'd like someone to pray with you, members of our prayer team will be down here at the front to join you and to pray with you. I'm going to go ahead and ask um, Helena, why don't you go ahead and go over there? You can leave that on right there. Helena's one of our prayer team members. Where is the other? Who can I ask? Oh, Viral. Viral's going to go over to this side. I was looking for him. Thanks, Viral. Our prayer team has been trained to pray and how to keep confidences, how to respond to things that are being shared with them, and to pray with you so they delight in praying with you today. Let's give our blessing to each other. Uh, next week, after our blessing, there will be pizza. And we will move outside for pizza. And then the week after that, there will be pizza. But not this week. Just take some time to gather with people. Let's give our blessing. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. See you at Imagine Day.